everyone, and welcome to Coaches Clubhouse Season 2, The COVID Year. I'm your host, Nicole Auerbach. So far this season, we've heard from coaches all over the sports world about how they've dealt with the past year's pandemic, from the NBA bubble to March Madness and the Olympics. Today, we have a conversation from a bit of a different perspective. Heather Marini was already in a unique circumstance when she became the first female position coach in Division I football at Brown University in March of 2020. And that was before she lost the ability to have any physical contact with her players. Not only did the pandemic force all college football coaches to go virtual, but the Ivy League took the drastic step to cancel the 2020 season altogether. There was no delayed start like the Big Ten, no spring ball like much of FCS, just a full season gone due to COVID. I talked to Marini about how she was able to transition to her new quarterback role virtually, how she and the Brown staff managed the time to keep the team prepared without games. Plus, we get into her introduction to American football in Australia, her path to America, and her historic promotion. Now, here's my conversation with Brown University quarterback coach Heather Marini. So, Heather, where were you? What were you doing when all of sports basically ground to a halt? Well, we were really gearing up for spring ball. Uh, you know, I um, I was going through the interview process for uh, the job that I have now, and uh, plan. You know, we we're going through the planning stages of getting ready to get out on the field, and the players were pumped because they were finishing winter workouts, and we get news that everything's starting to shut down, and then we are going to go on a two-week break, and of course, yeah. The rest is history, right? Right. We all thought it was going to be just two weeks uh, at that point. Well, and and I, it was one of the first things in my world as, as, you know, my day job as a college football writer that you were promoted and were the quarterbacks coach at Brown, making you the first position coach in division one college football. That is a woman. And I, it was just a couple of days after all the shutdown started. Um, Cause I think it was maybe my first story that was, like totally remote. Everyone's like, just phone. I don't even know if we were even offering Zoom interviews yet at that point. Um, and so what was what was that moment like? And then to have it, I guess, while you're quarantined, while you're stuck at home, while it's uncertain about um, when you're going to basically get back and actually get to work with your quarterbacks. Right. I mean, we were, uh, you know, the whole process was, you know, exciting for me. It was a culmination of a lot of work and a lot of time that I dedicated to the sport and, you know, to me having my little mini celebration or dance around the living room uh, on my own was a little different and not being able to go into the office and, you know, uh, I was lucky having been at Brown the year before, you know, I knew all my colleagues, I knew the players uh, and we were in a really good position at Brown. We spent a lot of time, um, making sure that the players had access to everything they needed on the cloud before all this happened. So we were actually situated really well to make the transition, although, you know, Zoom and Google Meet and all that sort of stuff was it was a little bit of a learning curve for everybody. Uh, you know, the players were already used to their calendars being online, um, their playbooks being online. Everything was, you know, at our fingertips. So it was actually as smooth a transition as it could have been given the circumstances. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too. And um, uh, there have been lots of coaches that I've covered that have totally changed jobs, started fresh, 
during this, but I wonder, especially with the attention that we give to first um, women in positions in, in football, and obviously we're going to get into this about, you know, how male athletes respond to really any coach that can help them throw the ball a little bit faster, a little bit more accurately, but I'm sure that that really helped, especially with, with the circumstances of this, but just that it didn't, um, you you weren't starting from scratch that people could see what you had done with EJ Perry, who set an Ivy league record for total offense in 2019. And people could see these things. Um, I, I wonder if you could speak to that sort of transition that it's a promotion and that it wasn't just coming in and, um, and there's fanfare or people are wondering if this is like some publicity stunt, which of course it isn't, but th- that it was just, it was an easier transition because everybody knew you. Yeah. So uh, it was it was great. You know, I started at Brown as the offensive quality control coach, uh, coming in with a new staff as as Coach Perry took over, and you know, spending a lot of time with Coach Perry and Coach Smith with the quarterbacks. You know, I was nearly in every meeting like, uh, the first year. Um, you know, being able to be up in the box and 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 working with the offense and, and knowing how. The, the systems all operated as well as, you know, what our plans were. You know, we went from, you know, planning for an in-person spring ball out on the field, let's go, uh, and we were able to do it all virtually because our plans were still the same. Um, so it was really great, you know, having, uh, while not getting to work directly with the players in the first year, but knowing them and them knowing me did make it a lot easier and uh you know, we were just excited to to get rolling. You know, we were we've always been. You know, whatever that we're allowed to do and we can do safely, we're going to do. So um, we've you know spent a lot of time on Zoom like everybody else, and I think you know really that's meant that we've got to know each other. You know, coaches and players alike, maybe more than we normally would because we spend a lot more time talking as opposed to outside running on the field. What exactly was it like to be? part of the Ivy League during the decision-making process. I mean, a lot was made out of Ivy League being the first to cancel the basketball tournament and, and prioritize safety, kind of see where the pandemic was headed. Um, you know, same thing with football. And then to not reverse that decision. I mean, it, it was clearly like, you know, the the Ivy League presidents who were making these decisions, like made a decision, stuck with it. I know um, a lot of it had to do with like travel restrictions on these campuses in general, but I wonder like what that was like to tell the players to process, like at that point, how do you kind of keep them motivated when things get canceled? And it's not like, you know, it's, it's not Nebraska or Ohio state where they could say, we want to play, please reconsider this. And, and they actually do. Yeah. I think, you know, it's important to kind of rewind to where we were at this point last year. You know, we, there, you know, as much as uncertainty as there is now, there was a lot more 12 months ago. Um, and you know Brown has done a great job in prioritizing safety and making sure that we we feel safe when we're on campus. Um, you know we you know like everybody we've had to work through things and we're all competitors. We can't wait to get out there. Um, whenever someone says you can't do it, of course it makes you want to do it more as well. So. Uh, you know, it has been challenging, you know, players and coaches alike and, and their families have all made sacrifices and just like everybody else, uh, whatever job they happen to be working in across uh, across the last 12 months and, you know, working from home has presented its challenges just like studying from home has. 
Uh, you know, the Ivy League uh, really has you know, tried to prioritize safety and making sure that we uh, come back in the phases that we don't have COVID outbreaks on campus and trying to do uh, as much as they can to keep the players safe. And we'd always love to do more. Um, but, you know, like I said, we, you know, whatever they allow us to do and to do safely, we're going to do it to the best of our ability, um, use it as an advantage to, to help us win when we finally get back on the field. And the players have absolutely embraced it. Uh, you know, as disappointing as it is to hear about a cancelled season, you know, that, you know they've, they've treated themselves like Olympic athletes. You train and you train and you train and then you get your shot. Uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, they've spent the time getting bigger and faster and stronger. They've spent the time uh, delving into the playbooks in ways that we would never have done because you're always trying to prepare for the next game. But instead, we're able to you know, expand our football IQs and as quarterbacks, look at how D linemen approach the game, look at how uh, DBs and linebackers play their positions, um, and that's going to make us better football players when we eventually get on the field. The Olympics comparison is interesting because we've talked to Olympics coaches and, you know, that, that getting thrown off one year is, is so much different <laughs> than missing one season and something else, even though it feels so big. Um, at what point um, were you able to, or have you been able to see your guys in person? Yeah, so we got out on the on the field in the fall. We were able to do um, a lot of, uh, you know, it's all strength and conditioning based when we're kind of in this off season phase, which we kind of have been now for twelve months. But you know, so the focus is always on getting bigger and faster and stronger and faster being the key, right? Because we're a play fast operation, and that's important to us when we get back. Uh, to, to full padded practices and things like that. Um, so we were able to get some time in the fall, which was incredible. Uh, obviously, you know, everything happened so quickly and everybody, you know, was going home to their respective places in the country and, and dealing with the summer in various ways. Uh, so to be able to come back together as a team uh, for, for uh, I think it was about six weeks in the fall, uh, was really great. Uh, to have everybody in terms of camaraderie, in terms of, you know, seeing familiar faces, even if they're behind a mask that's not on Zoom, you know, it really did, uh, you know, encourage the enthusiasm that we really do want to be out on the field and how much we love playing this game. And, uh, and you know, we've just started back up again this year and, uh, you know, we're going to ramp up hopefully to spring ball as things improve and uh, that's, that's the aim. So I'm sure um, our listeners have, have caught your accent by now, um, and it's not something that you always hear with American football coaches. Um, so I'm wondering if you could start at the beginning about how you got into this sport in, in the first place, because um, I, I love your origin story. It is very funny to me. <laughs> so please, um, let's start with your first introduction of the sport and whether or not you thought it was a weird sport. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, my my husband uh, was my boyfriend at the time, and we just started dating. And uh, he'd played American football, uh, you know, in Australia, it's all club sports. So he played at the same club from when he was 16 to, to when we moved over to the US a couple of years ago. Um, and I came down to support the team, uh, you know, support him. And it was freezing and it was the longest game I've ever been to to this day. It was like five hours. There was a penalty on every play. I had no idea what was happening. 
you know, the field was just a field in the middle of nowhere with no seating or stands or anything like that. And I just was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I don't know if I'll come again. Um, and that was a long time ago. Now the next week they were in the playoffs uh, and the sun was out and I had a, someone come and, you know, his dad come and explain some of the rules to me. And, and I kind of got roped in from there. I was really lucky. I was, uh, he played for the Monash Warriors. And, you know, I was really lucky in that they were incredible family of football, just like we are at Brown. They embraced me being there. And I started off as an an athletic trainer and helped out the teams there and then moved into becoming a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I was studying exercise science at the time and I loved it Um, and got the opportunity to come over to Oregon State and do an internship in sports performance there. And kind of realized that I loved being on the field, not in the weight room. Uh, and when I went back to Australia, I got the opportunity to be an assistant coach. And, you know, we all kind of worked together as as volunteers. And I kind of worked my way up until I got to be the, the head coach for, for a couple of seasons, the, the under-19s team, and got to travel with the world championships for the, with the Australian uh, team. And, you know, I've had some incredible opportunities, but, you know, I was just lucky that I landed at a, at a club at, at the Warriors that really let me, you know, trial and error and coach just like any young coach wants and, and supported me and, and didn't kind of worry that I was, I was the girl coach that was coming in and, <laughs> and trying to learn. So I was really lucky in that way. And, and you did play at one point, right? After, after you coached, like <laughs> yeah, after many years of coaching, uh, you know, the women's league uh, in Australia is relatively new. Uh, you know, women have been playing full contact football in the U S for a really long time now, uh, but it was relatively new in Australia. And, and when my club uh, decided they were going to have a women's team, they kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, no, no, we don't want you to come and coach. We want you to come and play. Uh, it was a crazy experience. You know, nobody's ever done it that way before where they've, they've coached for so long. And, uh, but to get to go out on the field and, and try and get out of my own head, uh, you know, I had great coaches. My husband helped coach the team and um, we had a great, great fun doing it. And, uh, you know, I got to run my, my offense that I'd run as a head coach. Uh, and so to put it into practice, but also to, um, you know, open up the sport to more women, to encourage women who love football, many of whom are still playing back in Australia, uh, was a really, really cool thing. So, uh, at what point did you decide, okay, like, let me look at next steps. What do I, what do I want to get to? Um, wh- like the, the steps to get to American football in America. Um, and, and how do you go about that? Because I think one thing that has always struck me about your career path is um, just how relentless you were at, at looking for opportunities and, and making sure you got them or that your, your name or your phone call got in front of the right person. So walk me through like the, okay, so I want to, I want to coach in America. Now what, like when that was, why that was and, and how you even start that process. Yeah. So my husband and I had, had often talked about moving to the U S uh, he's a, a scientist. He's got his PhD. Um, so he's working in research and he got the opportunity to, to come over here to the U.S. Um, and for me, it was, you know, kind of a joint process, you know, for me, you know, wherever we might, you know, as he kind of went through the interview process to find places that he would work, um, I was also going through a similar process and reaching out to coaches and, and trying to find different programs where I could maybe shadow or, or just meet coaches and, and go through that way. 
Um, and I just happened to hit on the luckiest Google search. I was searching for women in the NFL and came across the uh, the women's world football games that was held by USA Football, but it was also uh, brought in the, the NFL Women's Careers in Football Forum, which um, you know at the time was organized by Samantha Rappaport and you know, it was a joint a joint thing the first year. It was a player and career development, uh, you know, week as part of the Pro Bowl. And uh, my husband and I talked about it and we decided I would fly over from Australia and go to Orlando. And uh, for me, it was great because it was like the start of my playing career as well. So getting to, to have different coaches from a playing perspective. Uh, but really what I didn't know was how much this, the NFL Women's Careers in Football Forum was going to change my life. And uh, to me, walking into that room the first time, there was 220 women from 20 different countries who just loved football. Uh, and there is, you know, as many football clinics you go to where I'm the only woman in the room, you know, the first time walking into that and to see that I was in fact not alone in my love of the game, uh, you know, whether they were, you know, really focused on playing or whether they were searching for something a little bit more was the most incredible experience. You, you said there was 20 different countries represented? So That's people, right. So people yeah. did exactly what you did. They flew in from all over for this. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So... I know you've attended that and kind of like the different iterations of that multiple times. Um, how did that connect you? Or again, like you make sure you connected with, with coaches who were speaking at these events, because I think that that's something, and we've heard it a lot, you know, when, when the Tampa Bay Bucks won the Super Bowl, right? About Bruce Arians staff and the way that there are certain coaches in the NFL and in college who have track records of hiring diverse staffs, really valuing diverse inputs. And they're the coaches that go to these things and then give you business cards and things. So um, like, who did you start to meet at these summits? Yeah. So I think it was, you know, Coach Perry was, it was involved in one of my first years and uh, we actually, you know, Coach David Shaw at Stanford was my mentor for, for that particular session. And Coach Perry was mentoring another group. Uh, but really, you know, for me, you know, these coaches are open to hiring the best people for their program. And when they get up and speak, that's very clear in that they are not really interested if you're a man or a woman, if you're black or you're white. It's more about you know, making sure they have the best people and they don't want to limit themselves to 50 percent of the population. Uh, because that's not going to be the best thing to help them win and to help their program. Uh, and, you know, for me, it was about reaching out to these coaches, and mostly in appreciation. Like, you know, they gave up their time to come and to speak to us, whether it's about what they're doing in their, in their program, whether it's about, uh, you know, how we should approach career development, how we should approach coaches. And for me, connecting with Coach Perry and then, developing a relationship, you know, mess, you know, meeting over time and, and talking to each other and emails. And then, you know, when the opportunity arose to come and interview at Brown, you know, I was front of mind because I, you developed that relationship. So, so when you're at these summits, um, I know that one of these moments, uh, actually pretty recent right before you got promoted at Brown, uh, got some traction because there was video of it. Um, and it was you and Ron Rivera and I love it because it's just so confident of saying like, I'm going to be an NFL head coach someday. And that's just like your, your introduction. And it's like, just a fact, like, and I, and I love that. 
Um, and, and I know that I, I first heard about this even before you got the job at Brown, the quarterback's job at Brown. Um, some of my friends who covered the NFL were like, oh, there was this cool moment with Ron Rivera at this summit. What made you say that? And then obviously you asked about like, I think like their blitzing and the way that they did that. Um, so like, I don't know. I mean, I, I consider myself a pretty confident person. How do you have that confidence in that moment to say something like that in front of a room of people who are actually going to be able to see if you achieve this goal or not? <laughs> I mean, I think it, you know, you have to, you have to love what you do. And I think for me, you know, I realized a few years ago, like, it was, you know, coaching for me is my vocation. It's what I love to do. And it's, you know, it football just came along for me at the right time. You know, I'd coached other sports previously. Um, and so I think that plays into the confidence. Like, you know, I went through a lot of time where I was DIY internshipping. I was calling coaches and being like, hey, can I come and watch, watch practice? Or, and then they'd invite me to watch film and I just wouldn't leave. Um, so there was a lot of support. Um, obviously, Samantha Rappaport um, and my friends that I've met through this program, you know, Coach Lowe being one of them, um, you know, having support around you, seeing other women do really well, uh, that helps with the confidence that you know what it is that you want to do. Uh, for me, <laughs> that particular moment uh, in the forum was kind of was kind of crazy. Uh, was incredible of uh, Coach Rivera uh, to have that back and forward with me and invite me to practice and things like that. Uh, I think you know we get told when we're little kids, like, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" and you know, until recently, there weren't very many little girls that'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be an NFL head coach one day. Um, so I think part of what I do and, and how I approach it has to be leading from the front. You know, I have to do, uh, you know, I, there's, you know, with you know, a lot of responsibility in being, a, you know, in doing interviews and, and, you know, being seen on the football field uh, that is part of football in general you know just like the players are role models as coaches wear role models as well and I think it's important to you know shy away from what it is that we're trying to do here <laughs> um, so for me it's all about being the best coach that I can be and uh, and right now it's uh, working hard with these quarterbacks. How do you balance this is something I think about too obviously the media side is a very male dominated field too where it's like exactly what you're talking about, wanting to be visible and have these goals so people can see what's possible because sometimes you don't think about what jobs are possible until you see them, but also like not trying to make such a big deal about every single little first or second or third. I mean, like we'd love to get to a point where these aren't headlines. Um, how do you like think about that stuff about, you know, wanting to make sure that you are visible and that you're, you're available. Um, but also playing up the idea that all your coworkers treat you just like a football coach and that, that, that stuff doesn't matter when you're qualified, but you need to know that these jobs exist at the same time. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. Um, and you know, just like, you know, just like yourself, we're all trying to navigate it in the best way that we can. I think, you know, really the most important thing is to do a good job. You know, we, are. Uh, you know, I, you know, I try to make sure that I'm as focused on what I'm doing um, all the time. And, you know, when it means, you know, it means 
that the players come first, the program comes first, and then uh, you know the the interviews and the things else. You know that's that's on me <laughs> to manage that. So uh, I think you know it's a really great question. We're we're all navigating this this process of you know women becoming more visible in football, and I think it's a really great thing. I think that as more women become involved, like we will do less of the publicity and the media and it won't be front page news. And that is only a good thing. Is So obviously, and this is something that I always find really interesting. Like you've talked about like the players treat you, how your other coaches treat you. And this is something I think too, like it's, it's such a disconnect sometimes between like fans who, you know, are just not in these rooms and not in these locker rooms think that there would be some friction, think that there would be certain ways that certain people be treated. But I always feel like people are really serious of their sport and their craft and really understand this. This is kind of like when I see NBA players, like go to the, go to bat really like very vocally for WNBA players. Right. Cause they, they know like what that professional athlete is capable of and they respect that. Whereas like, you know, you've got these guys who are cut from like their high school JV team and like, they're the ones you know, being jerks about women's sports. Like it, to me, it's similar where it's like people who are in these spaces understand what it takes and, ha- and also are having these conversations or players can see what you're bringing to them. Like, what is that dynamic when you're in those rooms? Um, and, and it is about what you bring to the table. It is about what, you know, um, like how, how are you treated? I mean, how, how, like those, those things that other people just assume, you know, if they're, they're assuming things about how dynamics are, they're not like that. What are they like? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, in, within the profession, there's, you know, people, you know, have a lot of respect for each other, you know, whether we have the same philosophy on the way that we go about our offense or not, you know, we're all football coaches and we all uh, share ideas and, and different things like that. We've all come to football from different backgrounds and had different life experiences and, and, you know, women being in these rooms is kind of no different to that. Um, you know, they say if you, you know, if everybody in the room like agrees with you and nods their head, then you're probably like in the wrong room. <laughs> like you need these different ideas to kind of make you think in different ways and make you better. Uh, and that's really what it's all about. Players figure you out quickly. Uh, you know, it only takes the first couple of tips that make them feel better about the way that they run or jump or throw the ball, and uh, and they're on board. You know, they have had female teachers and female doctors and personal trainers and their mom is a lawyer and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, they are used to having women in the room that can offer something to them uh, to make them better. What drew you to coaching quarterbacks or the quarterback position? Cause I know that's what you played as well. Was that something conscious early in your career or is that like, what, what, what about that position, that position group attracts you? Uh, I think for me, you know, I, you know, the way that uh, our club operated in Australia was, you know, we were all volunteer coaches and, you know, coaches got called away to stay an extra shift at work or their families needed them or something like that. So I was able to coach lots of different positions. Uh, my husband was the head coach uh, at the, at the under 19 level before I took over. 
So we spent a lot of time brainstorming and looking at offenses and the way that that worked. Um, And so it kind of was just a natural progression to end up with the quarterback position with the quarterbacks being an extension of the coach on the field. So uh, for me, it kind of, it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice, uh, uh, but I love it. (laughs) Um, For me, you know, Uh, Being able to experience coaching lots of different positions and then use that to help the quarterbacks. I mean, that's a lot of what we've been doing uh, in COVID times and in virtual meetings was looking at how the offense operates as a whole. Uh, And I think that's important. You know, when I was in Australia, I, my goal was always to not be their last football coach. Like what can I offer them that when they go and play for someone else at the next level, that they will have a solid foundation and a great understanding and love for the game of how it works. You know, as quarterbacks, we love watching special teams because we just love how football works and we love how people hit each other. Like that's exciting for us, even though we don't get to go out and do it all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whenever like a quarterback gets like a big block or something, you can see like everybody gets all really excited because they never get to do that. Um, It must be like a really interesting time to have like over the years that you've gotten into football and have been over in the U.S., like the offenses are evolving in such interesting ways right now. Like which, who, who do you, maybe you call them, maybe you shadow them, maybe you've done all these things already, but um, I'm thinking film too. Like who, who do you, who are you inspired by when you think about what you want to do offensively or with your quarterbacks? You know, to, to paraphrase our old football saying, you know, nothing is new, everything is stolen. Uh, so I think to me, you know, I, I joke with my friends, you know, with, you know, even, you know, watching the NFL and they're like, well, who, who's your team? Who I'm like, but I, well, I love this guy and I love this coach and I love, and, you know, I think growing up away from all of this, uh, you know, not having football in my life until I was 18 years old, you know, really does, you know, you know, football is the real winner on the weekend. You know, like <laughs> to me, it's all about, you know, taking the best of different things. You know, when you have a great running back, you should, you know, highlight that player and you're going to have an offense that gives that player the ball. When you have a great receiver, you're going to have an offense that highlights that player and gets that player the ball. So I think it would be you know, really unfair of me to say like, this is what I love to do and whatever. But, uh, you know, definitely uh, I can't deny that, you know, the tempo offenses, just like what we do at Brown play fast. They make me excited about, you know, the way that we run the offense, regardless of what play is called Um, moving fast and having those opportunities to score lots uh, is really what the offense that I kind of love to watch. I love how you're like, well, because I didn't grow up like blindly rooting for and blindly hating some team. Like it's, it's so funny because in my family, my dad is a Jets season ticket holder. So him and my brother, you know, they've just always hated Tom Brady and (laughs) Bill Belichick and, um, you know, they're Yankees fans. So they hate the Red Sox. I remember like I covered the Red Sox one summer and I was like, I mean, it's very hard to like blindly hate David Ortiz. He's pushing his son around in a little cart, in the laundry cart before the game and like very cute. And it's funny though, because I think you're right that, you know, once you get into this field or profession, like you end up rooting for individual players or, or people have helped you in, in different things. So it's really funny to hear 
with your trajectory to not have that like childhood fandom piece to it. Um, and then to still get, you're, you're probably less starstruck by people than some other peers in your profession. I, mean, I got high in the debts and I'm like having to go through the roster to make sure I knew like all <laughs> were and stuff. Cause that was my first job here in the U S and uh, it was an incredible experience. And I, you know, working in the scouting department, you know, I really did. I, to me, they were fuzzy players running around on a field on a computer screen for a lot of my day. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the best part of my day was then going to be out on the field and getting to watch them in person and see these incredible athletes just execute. Do you think back about like, what if, um, you know, at that fork in the road, like where you decided to go into football, like what if you didn't, do you, do you know what you do? I I mean, when I was growing up, I always thought I was going to be the head coach of the Australian netball team. So, uh, you Close. know, Americans <laughs> haven't seen netball, uh, but, you know, I, I always thought I was going to do that. I mean, I was an athlete growing up. I you know, played tennis and netball and, I mean, badminton and swimming and track and whatever my school would let me sign up for, that's what I was going to do. Um, so, I, I mean, I really don't know. I, I went to university, you know, signed up for classes having not seen football. Um, and I was, a ex- I was doing my degree in exercise science. I was majoring in coaching. So I was heading that way. And then football came in like three months into college. And uh, when I met my husband and, you know, he kind of introduced me to this sport that was nothing like I'd ever seen, but made a lot of connections. Like it's the agility, you know, I knew basketball and netball. So those agility skills, like I can see them on the field. You know, I grew up in a, in a small country town where Australian rules football uh, was was king. You know, we went in a rugby town, uh, so I hadn't seen a lot of rugby, but the tackles and the, the incredible catches, we call them speckies for spectacular catches, uh, you know, that all made sense to me in football. You know, it all kind of, it brought, it was a culmination of everything I'd grown up with. And, and while the X's and O's took a little longer to put together, uh, the physical aspect of it just made sense. I'm going to steal speckies. Can I steal that as like a phrase? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been really great. And um, I, I guess just the last question would be coming out of a, a strange year where you didn't have a season, which again, I'm sure that hasn't happened much for you since you've gotten into football. Um, like, h- how do you, does it, does it change? You're just talking about all the things you love and appreciate about the sport did it instill something deeper in you to not have the actual games there or to not be actually present in person with your players for so long? Does it change the way you even think about these things coming out of it? Yeah, well, I mean, I never knew football coaches spent so much time on the computer. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that's a new thing for me. But I think, you know, really we appreciate the togetherness. Like when we can be out on the field as a team and in person you know, we are definitely reminded that this sport is not about the X's and O's. You know, it's really, it's, you know, it's the teamwork. It's how much effort you put in. It's the attitude you bring. It's, and it's the brothers and sisters now that you play with and for. And I think that's really, you know, what football is all about. And I think for anyone that, you know, has had their season cancelled and these high school players are going through tough times right now as they kind of navigate that as well, um, you know, we've all very much appreciated any time that we can, we can come together. That was my conversation with Brown University quarterbacks coach, Heather Marini. 
You can find every episode of Coaches Clubhouse on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. SiriusXM Podcasts.